0: You're listening to CRST the podcast
1: from Brynmar
0: Communications. So, hello and welcome to another episode of CRST the podcast. I'm Dr. Richard Lindstrom, your host for today's episode focused on physician entrepreneurship in ophthalmology. I've been in the field now for 50 years, and my first opportunity to be an entrepreneur was actually 45 years ago. And as a pioneer in the field, I've had the privilege of witnessing firsthand how innovation has transformed patient care and propelled our field forward. Today, we're exploring the entrepreneurial mindsets and journeys of remarkable surgeons who are not only working to improve patient outcomes, but also to push the boundaries of our industry. Together, we'll gain insights into the challenges and rewards of creating new companies and developing groundbreaking technologies. Let's meet our guests, Dr. Ashley Brissett, Dr. Ranya Habas, and Dr. John Hovanesian. Thank you all for being here. Let's begin with some self-introductions. Dr. Brissett and then Ranya and John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves and where you practice and how you got involved in entrepreneurship.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm Ashley Brissett. I'm a cornea cataract refractive specialist here in New York City at Wild Cornell Medicine, New York Presbyterian Hospital. And I kind of got into entrepreneurship. I started a company about a year ago called Daily Practice Eye Care, and I want to create skincare products for the eye area and make everybody taking care of their eyes as a part of their daily practice and a way that they can perform their self-care and help their vision.
2: Hi, uh, yeah, I'm Rania Habash. Um, I'm here in Miami, uh, cataract refractive surgeon at Bascom Palmer. Um, started uh, a couple of companies, actually three, um, all because of my background. Um, and uh, they all serve different purposes. One is a telehealth company, another one's a digital health company, um, and the third is a metaverse company.
3: I'm John Hovanessian. I'm uh, in practice in uh, Southern California. I do cataract surgery, cornea refractive surgery as well. I also teach at UCLA and have uh, uh, been interested in the eye care industry for many years, but about 10 years ago, I started a company called MD Backline and uh,
0: recently exited that just about a year ago now. So it's been my belief that the physician actually is in a position in a busy clinical practice to recognize the unmet needs. They're struggling with them every day and Certainly nothing wrong with just being a, a busy clinician but sometimes people want to take the next step and and either uh, work uh, with an industry to develop a next generation technology or even to develop a, uh, an individual company themselves so why don't each of you tell us you know why why you were attracted to being an entrepreneur rather than just staying as a busy clinician so let's start with you Rania
2: okay um, so i i don't know how many people know this or not but i, I grew up in very rural west virginia uh, my parents were immigrants from from beirut and uh you know they got off the plane and uh, <laughs> we in rural west virginia um, my dad was the town doctor um basically you know for 40 years there and um, anyway so when i was growing up what i saw was his patients who had very poor access to health care um you know, patients there, I mean, we, where we grew up, I mean, a lot of people don't have cars even. It's really hard to get to the doctor. They need government assistance, travel vouchers, et cetera, um, food stamps, everything. And so I just always had that with me. And, and the first chance I got, I wanted to change that paradigm um, and give patients access to care, you know, for basic needs. Um, And when the smartphone came out, of course, everyone had a smartphone, but they didn't have a car. And so um, even though they didn't have a car. And so I I created a telehealth company called Hippochat. Hippochat was real simple. I designed it to look and feel exactly like iMessage and FaceTime, like we talk to our friends and family, except now they could use it to talk to their doctors. And it revolutionized care all through the area um, and then uh, made its way out of state and and, um, and across the U.S. in different health systems until it was finally acquired. Um, and I was hired on as the chief medical officer during that acquisition, where I worked for like eight years as the chief medical officer. We went public after that. And then um, I, I helped implement my own technology in like 1500 different health systems, which is the most awesome feeling you can imagine and probably something John would really, uh, John and Ashley both would really appreciate as well. Um, anyway, you know, just to answer your question, that was that was the first company, and then it gets almost addictive from there because you just realize that you're in this like really unique position where you can affect change for not just your own workflows and your own your own needs, but more importantly for your patients' needs and your colleagues'
1: needs.
0: Yeah, so I, I often have fellows that have an idea ideas are easy. You know, they see an unmet need and they have an idea. And then I always say, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, are you are you going to do something about it or not? And uh, John, you saw you saw an unmet need in patient education and you decided to do something about it. What what prompted you to do that?
3: You know, when you practice, you, you observe all kinds of things, right? You go from uh, training to the real world. And one thing that I noticed in my early practice days was that reps would come in and ask us questions that we couldn't answer. They'd ask, you know, Hey, I, I sell a, an allergy eye drop. How does my product compare to the competitors? And, you know, I always scratched my head and I thought, um, I, I know they're asking this question really cause they want to just strike up a conversation about their product, but, but do they think I really know how their allergy drop compares to others? We prescribe drops for allergies all the time, but, um, unless you ask patients, uh, you don't know how the different drops work. <laughs> and, um, it occurred to me that there's a whole element of outcomes in medicine that depend upon patients' reports, uh, not what we could measure with intraocular pressure or other uh, methods. And so uh, out of that was born the idea to to, to have a routine follow-up when, when prescriptions are written, when, um, uh, when treatments are um, uh, recommended to patients. Part of that is to collect information from the patient, but also to uh, to educate them as well, because when we prescribe that drop, we don't always have all the time in the world to educate them on how it's expected to work and what side effects they might have, and uh, and so out of out of that need was born the idea to create software that would follow up with patients after they were seen in the office, and uh, and of course it expanded to do other things, but um, that was really the impetus for it, a need that uh, we had these billion dollar industries like allergy drops that um, that we didn't have a uh, didn't have a good way to find out how the products did. And of course, today's equivalent of that is the uh, premium lens implant, right? We know that uh, we think in terms of diopters and lines of visual acuity, but what's really important is how do patients feel about their outcome when they have surgery? And uh, this is such an important um, industry for everyone that, uh, that it deserves uh, the patient deserves a voice in it. And that's part of what we
0: did. Ashley, how about you?
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting what you said about, you know, having seeing an unmet need. Uh, My story is a little bit different. You know, as a young female surgeon, especially in a city like New York City, often people would ask me, well, what skincare products should I be using in and around my eyes? Or what would you recommend that I use cosmetically? Um, And so I kind of had an interest in it. And I thought, you know, there's so many dermatologists that create lines for skincare, but there's no ophthalmologist that's really done the same thing. And I always jokingly say I kind of want to make eye care sexy. So I was like, you know, if we could get eye care products that we know are science backed, that we know is going to be good for people's eyes for them to be using that they want to use. Um, And then make it in kind of a cosmetic way where it looks beautiful with all their other beauty products that they have on their counter, we could really win. And, And I think that messaging really stood out to my patients. So I could say, you know, scientifically, I know that these ingredients are great for use in the eye area. Um, And cosmetically, I wanted to create something that they felt comfortable having on display um, in in their uh, medicine cabinets or kind of with their other beauty products. And so that's kind of why I started my company. And so I try to want to revolutionize the products, one, ingredients that we're using in and around the eye area, making sure that it's safe. Um, And then, two, getting people interested in, in thinking about taking care of their eyes and taking care of their vision, just like they take care of the rest of their body.
0: So I was a, a resident and cornea fellow in a very busy corneal university, University of Minnesota, and I was going out in the middle of the night and harvesting corneas in the morgue and then calling in patients on an emergency list, and the uh, highway Patrol was trying to you know, get the patients down in time before the cornea failed, and I saw an unmet need to find a way to extend the uh, time that we had to get a donor cornea together with the uh, with a patient, so working with the Minnesota Lions Eye Bank, I, I developed a corneal preservation solution, and uh, but that's just the beginning. And so, so you have a you have this idea, and then uh, you do some research or some work, and you jot it down. But what what's, what's the you know what's some of the things that you need to think about and, in 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 the proper order, like including protecting the idea, and then sort of moving into how do you get started in a little financing. Are you going to go to uh, industry with your idea, or are you going to try to build a new company? Each of you have done everything, but you know what what about uh, you know is it important to protect the idea before you start talking about it and sharing it with others? So. Rhonda, you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean my my personal theory is it's so hard to start a company and actually get a product out of it that is being used that I don't I don't really care that much about protecting. Plus, if someone can do it better and faster than I can, more power to them, that's fine with me. So, I mean, it is important to have IP, of course, but I don't get hung up on that before I start developing stuff. Um, with with HIPAA chat, for instance, and, and actually with the digital health company, Lifelong Life Vision, and then with uh, Metamed, um, you know, it's just all about getting an MVP out, a minimally viable product out first, and then iterating from there. But it's it's I'm just kind of laughing a little bit because, um, with HIPAA chat. It was a perfect example. I mean, I knew nothing about the regulatory and compliance laws behind HIPAA um, and all the protections and all the stuff, all the, uh, I mean, all the compliance laws basically. Um, But I do remember saying in a very cocky way over and over again, it ain't eye surgery. (laughs) It can't possibly be harder than learning eye surgery and doing it. So like nothing phases me. I'm not afraid to try because we're eye surgeons here. Like, I'm pretty sure if we can do that, then we got to be able to pull off anything else. Um, but look, I mean, that's just kind of my personal philosophy is just just do it, just get started. And then you just build momentum from there. I'm, um, I'm just, again, I'm not one of these people who just cares about protecting and hoarding my ideas or whatever, just because I do feel like it should be to the finish line and whoever does the best job of it great more power to him because those ideas that all four of us have had needed to be out there um, and we can't impede other people's progress you know for our own uh, for our own interests
0: well the first thing i did was trundle off to the university of minnesota technology transfer uh, office and and uh, which is what you do as an academician and they thought it was important to uh you know, to register the idea and to get some IP around it. And so they they thought that was a a first step before trying to go out and raise some angel capital. What about you, Ashley or John? Did you you do anything with, uh, you know, with IP or registration of your idea?
1: I didn't just because, you know, within the industry that I'm in and kind of the skincare cosmetics, that's more difficult to do. My formula for the eye cleanser, which is my first product that I created, is an original formula, so I do own that formula itself, and that was really important to me. in working with the chemist at the skincare lab was that that was protected because, again, I had the science background of knowing exactly what ingredients I wanted included in it, and then it was really about the creation of it. Um, I will say, you know, even just starting this, I remember, you know, speaking to somebody and they were asking me to see my deck, and I said, "What's a deck?" Like I, I didn't <laughs> even know what where to start. Um, and so, reading some books on entrepreneurship listening to many, many podcasts about how to get started in this industry was important. You know, I think about when we go into our residency training and we learn how to do something like eye surgery, as Rania was mentioning, um, we train to be able to do that and to offer that service to our patients. And so me thinking I could just, you know, start up a company without any kind of training or background was a little naive. And so really doing that personal education, I think, is an important component of it as well.
0: Tom, what are your thoughts on uh, on depends on the field a little bit what, what protecting ideas so yeah well you know it's that's right a, a chemical formula is a lot easier to
3: patent than a software idea because uh, software is notoriously difficult and uh, uh, the best thing you can do in general is to move as quickly as you can to have a product and um, you know outpace the quote competition <clears throat> but uh, you know I think along the way as you're developing that minimally viable product, it's vitally important to get some advice and uh, you want advice from people first that you trust. You can, you can file a provisional patent with really no, um, almost uh, very little effort and cost. And that gives you care of protecting really almost any idea. Um, and, uh, and then you can sign a non disclosure if you like, if the people you're talking to you're concerned, uh, for me, you know, I, people like you dick who i trusted and i got great advice it's important to talk to people who are going to be well my mother used to say that takes somebody who really loves you to tell you that your breath stinks
0: uh, <laughs> i give you yeah i give you truthful advice so certainly it helps to have a mentor no 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 doubt so so it takes to develop something from an idea to reality it takes both human capital and financial capital one of the first things that that I think about is that something's going to have to give right so if you're going to to become an entrepreneur whether it's to license the idea to industry or to to try to especially if you're going to build your own company it takes a meaningful amount of time and uh, and maybe you need to think about talking to your family about whether you want to do that talking to your partners about whether you want to do that uh, so how you know how did that go for you ashley did you did you have to decide to work a little bit less or did you do it on nights and weekends or?
1: Yeah, definitely nights and weekends and a little bit of kind of like a COVID time passion project as well. Um, You know, I think it's really difficult to, try and um, cut back on your on your clinical work early on when your idea is so early in its progress I think the further along you get um, the more you can kind of see where your efforts are needed one thing that became so evident to me was to start to learn to trust people that had expertise in areas where I was lacking so those were things like as starting to think about doing graphic design for say the packaging um, the website build for our website where you can purchase the products online and so being able to find the right people to build your team, I think is really important. Um, learning to trust them and then learning from maybe mistakes you've made in the past and just pivoting and not trying to kind of repeat the same mistakes or do the same thing over and over um, again.
0: Yeah, choose wisely when you build your team and you're definitely going to need a need a team. So, so Rania, did you have to give something up at home or at work to, to do what you've done as an entrepreneur or were you able to just uh, work more hours? So.
2: Uh, so I, I did the whole nights and weekends thing uh, for sure. Um, something has to give sometimes, and uh, you know, to me, um, so I don't, I don't have kids, um, and so I always just kind of wanted to leave a legacy, um, and that was another thing that was always kind of top of mind for me. Like you know, this will be my legacy.
0: But it's going to take some time, and it's going to take time and team, right? So, so, uh, what about your thoughts on that, Dan? Putting together. Having the time, you had to go home and talk to your wife about it. I know that. And uh, you're going to invest some of your own money in it, which we'll talk about in a minute, and uh, um, and put together a team. So what, what was your experience there?
3: One of the best bits of advice I received, thankfully, I received at the very beginning, which was from you, Dick. Uh, and you said, uh, sounds like a good idea. It's meeting an unmet need. The one I can't tell you whether you're going to succeed, but I can tell you it's going to take a lot more effort than you expect. And so, um, just know that going in, it, it will take a lot of time, and you'll you'll have to make sacrifices somewhere uh,
0: in your life to make it happen. Yep, and if you have a significant other or family or children, you need to sometimes uh, sometimes include them. So, that, so the, at first, the the human capital comes from yourself, and then uh, and then perhaps a few mentors, but then. Then what about uh, the the early financial support? So in 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 my case, I funded it myself uh, initially, and then found found a partner that uh, I shared the the you know the ownership in the company with, and then and moved along from there. But how how did you capitalize uh, your idea, Ashley? Did you do it yourself, or have family support, or how did you do it?
1: Yeah, similar to you, so self-funded to start, you know, you kind of have to believe in yourself and pony up to show that you you know, have that ambition and that drive. And I think having a little skin in the game helps other investors understand how important this is to you. And then similar to you, I've then brought on a capital partner who believed in the vision and came on very early. And then we're just closing actually a seed fundraising round. We're almost fully closed to expand the product offering. Um, and I think kind of showing that initial... Uh, momentum that you could get going on your small budget, showing how fiscally responsible you can be with the company and, and with the finances over, you know, your initial launch, I think is a really important thing to show potential investors in the
0: future. I how about you? Were you a self-capitalizer or did you have some family support or friends and family or?
2: Self, all, all self. Um, for, um, yeah for for two out of the three um the third one was a lot bigger um and and required more uh investors but um but yeah i mean i think what ashley said was just absolutely perfect like i I think it's so important that you have to believe in yourself and the investors if you're eventually going to them need to know that you have skin in the game and you believe in yourself enough to invest as well and then before you ask anyone else you should you should be willing to do it yourself first um and then i also think it is kind of important cuz what i have seen go wrong in a lot of companies um that that i've mentored as well is that they have these big ideas and they people tell them they need millions and millions of dollars to do it they'll never get that amount without raising it and then the idea never comes to fruition so i think one of the important things is to start with a, a with a size or you know with a with a concept that you can keep kind of Small and um, and collected, so that you can self fund it, and it doesn't get out of control too fast, and then just build and iterate as you go.
0: So, John, how did you fund your company? So,
3: well, you know, uh, in the end, it was it was bootstrapped, and I actually uh, really created another company that was able to capitalize it—a a research company that did a whole separate line of work that that allowed me to to capitalize it. But um, it's worth saying that. The hardest thing I think is is raising money for a, a you know a, an entrepreneurial effort because uh, uh, you know, it really exposes all your shortcomings as a company, and uh, even more importantly, it saddles you with the responsibility to those investors. And that's particularly poignant if those investors are not professionals, but your friends and family. Uh, and I think i've I feared failing more because I didn't want to fail people who had invested who were friends. Um, you know, more than any other motivator was that, that I, I cannot let these folks down. And I, I other entrepreneurs, I, I I know Rania and Ashley feel this way too, uh, just because, uh, you know, you have that responsibility. Their hard earned
0: money was entrusted to you. And so you got to succeed. Yeah, you know, it's a fact that the first uh, round of capital is typically what I call friends and family. And it, it's, Ronnie, your point is really well taken that don't be too, uh, you know, have a reasonable expectation, and you know potentially not atypically, you need to raise five hundred thousand to a million dollars. So it, it takes some some money to get past that friends and family round. When maybe you have some proof of concept, and you can go and find a professional investor. But uh, at the beginning, you know, you have to put some skin in the game, exactly like Ashley yeah. said.
1: One piece of advice I remember hearing, I think it was a business podcast and someone was mentioning, have the mentality that you just need to get a hundred no's before you get your yes, so that all those no's you're not upset about. Just know that that's part of the process of what's happening. And if somebody told you, chase the no's, then you're just going to keep asking, keep putting your neck out there, and eventually you will get a yes.
0: So what are the absolutely critical team members? Uh, You know, Of course, we need a quality attorney and and the like but you know did each of you create a small board that you surrounded yourself with or did you kind of wing it yourself or or, or you have somebody who's a regulatory expert uh Ashley, you talked about you know educating educating yourself through you know podcasts and books but uh, a few critical advisors who would you who would you think are the are the critical advisors that everyone should have, so.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's probably important, one, you make sure you wanna have legal protection for yourself, for the company. So I agree with you, that's important to have. So uh, another thing as well is having somebody that can help on the financial side if that's not one of your strong suits. So, you know, my partner's in the financial industry and he's been really essential for helping me create um, different financial models. And so bringing someone on like that, that maybe has a little bit more experience in areas where you're a little weaker was really important to me. I kind of had, I think the creative vision and kind of, you know, the aesthetic side of what I wanted to create and then having somebody help me execute that. So, you know, then meeting with the chemist and saying, this is what I want the formula to be, can you make this a thing, um, was important. So again, it's kind of independent, I think, to what your company is, and seeking out areas where you are more weak to have people kind of assist in, in those areas.
0: How about Rania, what, what did you surround yourself with as far as expertise?
2: Um, two things, a, a business uh, person, uh, who, like Ashley said, I think that's probably the one of the most important things. because. You know, as doctors, we don't really learn how to build revenue models and projections and all this other stuff that you need to know. Um, and so it is nice to lean on somebody who is experienced and who you can trust most importantly. Um, the second thing is uh, software people. Um, and, you know, to me, I found out very early on, like, why reinvent the wheel? There are companies out there who everyone trusts uh, to, to develop stuff like Microsoft, Apple, Google, whomever, and, um, and they all have services and can counsel you and help you build your product. And so, for me, like a program like Microsoft for Startups, um, who, by the way, supported also at Ascaris last week, um, is important for developing companies because they, they, they do provide these mentoring services and, and give you some of the technical um, expertise that we all
0: need. Tom, who, who did you thought was critically valuable as you built your company?
3: Uh, you mean besides you? Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, so you were
3: you were uh, very helpful, and uh, I had a, just one other board member who uh, who assisted us, who is somebody who's different—not an ophthalmologist, not a, a medical person, even. Uh, and this is kind of to Rania's point: it's it's you need to seek help, and and also Ashley's point: you need to seek help from people who are not like you, who who bring a different perspective. One of the nicest things, though, uh, was. Uh, you know, ophthalmology is such a um, fraternal um, specialty. Uh, there are so many terrifically smart people who uh, who are, are freely willing to give their advice and uh, give you input. And uh, uh, you know, so I have to say that helped me calibrate our ideas along the way tremendously. Talk to people like you know David Chang and Vance Thompson and. And just countless others who uh, who who know this business, who know what clinicians need, and have seen enough ideas uh, that they they know which ones are likely to succeed and which ones aren't.
0: If you're going to do something that's going to require you know FDA approval, and you know often a quality regulatory consultant can be uh, can be valuable. And I just point point out quickly, there is something called iCelerator, Accelerator, and there's an iCelerator Accelerator meeting at uh, ASCRS and another at the American Academy of Ophthalmology. And for the budding entrepreneur, it's a great place to go and learn and to uh, network. And then Orange County is one of the meccas for uh, ophthalmology entrepreneurship and all of California, but Orange County especially, there's a group there called Octane, and they have a meeting every spring as well. And so I've often encouraged entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs to go to those meetings and and basically just, just network. Does anybody else have any other valuable places they've found to go and, and network for yeah Let for me learning? let me add.
3: Uh, you know, so you mentioned Octane. Uh, I, I completely agree. The the OTF meeting is uh, is great. They also have a service that they offer not just to Orange County companies but uh, outside of Orange County. It's called uh, Launchpad, <clears throat> and they really help the entrepreneur to refine your pitch deck. You know, your your ten slides uh, that are going to tell an investor why they should invest in your company. and I found that process really valuable uh, because the launch pad uh, you know ends with when your deck is ready you go and you present it before a group of diverse industry people, not just I care at all and uh, and they give feedback and it really prepares you to sell your idea uh, at every level.
0: Any uh, resources in particular Ashley that if I called you and said you know the, that you would recommend uh, to me,
1: yeah, that's a good question. One thing I will say is that you know, even in all of us doing this podcast, there's a lot of ophthalmologist entrepreneurs. I think it's this is kind of a wonderful thing about the digital age is we all have an opportunity to really connect with each other. And I think, you know, if anyone's listening to this podcast and has an idea and they're not sure where to start or are looking for some advice, even just reaching out to each other as colleagues, I think can be a really important asset. Um, because we can learn a lot from each other in terms of what we've each created. And so don't be afraid to ask people that you admire, people that have done something similar to what you envision yourself doing. Um, we're such a wonderful specialty. I think everybody's very, very friendly with one another and collegial um, and always happy to help out.
0: Anna, who, who would who would you uh, encourage someone to talk to besides yourself? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, or you or, or any of us. No, I'm with Ashley, actually. Actually. Um... And it's funny because uh, my, well, this would be my my fifth company, I guess. Uh, that, but I just had this idea actually at Ascaris um, last week, where everyone was. I mean, Ashley's right. Everybody, a lot of people do have this entrepreneurial bug, and they have these budding ideas, if not you know, companies that they are part of, or even their loved ones. Um, and I was actually talking to some people there at Ascaris, Pam Katz actually was one of them, um, and just saying, we, we actually need a database where we have services from all of each other's products and services, right, that we can call upon if we need something, because we just need to kind of know what each other, what, what each of us is working on, um, so that we can use that as, you know, as a database where we can all learn from each other and, you know trade notes and best practices and and stuff like that. So I actually think that would be a really important thing for all of us to do. I mean, I I I'm glad to hear more about Ashley's um Ashley's line. I want to buy some now, you know, and I want to yeah, and I want to um, you know, tell my patients about it because Ashley developed it and I trust her and she does make it sexy. And so I would absolutely love <laughs> Love to just know more about that, you know, and and same for you, John and and Dick. Learning about the preservation for um, the corneas, I just think we all need to know more about each other um, and have all this kind of in one place and and use each other as um, as people to lean on.
0: Yeah, it comes down, I guess, to being confident and bold enough to ask for help. You know, John, go ahead. So.
3: I was just going to say, for, for you and me, it's too late to use Ashley's products. There's
1: no. <laughs> it's for, I care's for everyone. <laughs>
3: That's
0: right. we got to bring it home, bring it home to our wives. So, um, so you you're you're you've got your friends and family capital. You brought your team together. You're making progress. Uh, uh, you're iterating as you go along, and you've got something that you think is ready for you know ready for prime time in, in quotes. Uh, uh, one one strategy is to try to find a strategic company to license it to. Another strategy is to uh, find a strategic company to sell the whole company to or or the whole idea to. Uh, uh, and a license, you just get royalties if it ever gets on the market. If you sell it, you get, you know, someone buys it with a down payment and milestones or, or you can build your own company. And so Let's you know just give us your own own experiences about how you made the decision as to how what you did when when you were looking for you know some type of a uh, an exit or or perhaps uh, you know Ashley and and you you got some companies you intend to just you know run for life and have a family business so so John let's start with you this time so what, what how did you how did you find an exit for your company? Did you look at all these options and and what's the strengths and weaknesses of each? So, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's really important to start from the beginning with, the,
3: you know, with the end in mind. And uh, I I knew that I did not want to continue running a software company for life. And so I, uh, I, I built the company with the idea that we would exit probably with a, uh, you know, a company acquisition. And uh, that was a pretty wide universe of, of potential acquirers, including EHR companies, including drug and device, drug companies, device companies, uh, and software companies, uh, companies like Google and Microsoft. Um, and, uh, you know, and so you can't play to all of those possibilities at once. So personally, I targeted the audience that I had the best access to, which was in iCare. And while that's a limited number of acquirers, uh, it was uh, it was a very you know focused group that I thought could access and the timing was right uh, for you know a market need and ultimately it proved successful. Um, so, you know, but the whole company had sort of been built with that in mind.
0: So you built it with the plan to uh, plan to exit. So, uh, uh, Ashley, what what about you? Are you are you building a company that you'll still own in 20 years or are you? Thinking you might have an exit or just uh, opportunistic. What, what's your what was your strategy? So
1: yeah, I'd, I'd love to continue to grow it at this stage because it's still so early. You know, we're just finishing up our proof of concept, and the concept has been proven, which is really exciting. And I'm looking forward to launching more products coming up soon and expanding the offering. My goal eventually would be to have it kind of purchased or or acquired by a larger cosmetics company that would really then have the breadth to be able to distribute product to the scale at which I can see this becoming as successful as I envision it. Um, So that would be the goal. I'd always love to have a hand in it because again, I think, you know, there's so many influencers and celebrities that start skincare lines and makeup lines and aren't necessarily recommending the best ingredients for what we know people should be using in the eye area. So always having a hand in exactly what would be recommended that people are putting next to their eyes um i'd love to ensure that we're we're allowing people to do that safely
0: yeah and that can work i mean you you can uh, in quotes exit to a, a major strategic and continue to play a role in your company and, and on a go-forward basis or you can exit and then be a serial entrepreneur and do the next idea that you have so ronnie you've done five companies so i suspect you've uh, uh, that you're not part of all five still, and so what? 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 What have you done? So
2: I've only done the three so far, but I'm working on number four, and then number five just hit me at Ascaris.
0: <laughs> and you, you, you all over <laughs> the first. Period.
2: That's not really a company; it's more of like a, you know a spreadsheet. Um, it's not a big deal, but um, but yeah. Um, so I had a little of all of them, like the Goldilocks method, I guess. Um, the first one was acquired, but I was hired on, so an aqua hire. Which i actually think is like the coolest proposition of all and i think john you're kind of in that position right where you're still helping to run your own company but you've now gotten someone else to foot the bill you know and and add the resources to it which is actually really nice Um, my second one um, by definition lifelong vision needed to be neutral um, so that it could service everybody in the industry in a neutral way and so i actually that one, I didn't want acquired by any one party, um, and it's, um, you know, something that needed to be neutral. Then the third one, which is Metamed, um, is, uh, it's still, still new um, and growing, um, and I'm kind of open to anything with that one. You know, certainly that's not going to be all I do, um, I'll, and it doesn't, it doesn't actually take that much time. Um, so anyway, I uh, have all three, you know, under my belt.
0: Well, when you're thinking about uh, when you're thinking about these exits, and actually, I've I've done companies where I've completely gone away and been happy to go away, and I've done a few where I've continued to uh, continued to participate, and I even have one that sort of became a family business, uh, and you can pass on even to another generation. So all those are possibilities. Um, yeah, but you need to think about it a little bit along the way as to. Just to not only what might be the exit, but also will there be an exit? Because you're going to invest a lot of time and money. And it, it's nice that there will be an exit down the road somewhere if you want one. So,
2: And who should it be? I mean, what, one of the points I wanted to make actually is, um, so with the first company, uh, when, it was, when it was acquired, you know, just like John, we had different offers. And um, it was, you know, some wanted to buy it and kill it. <laughs> Some wanted to buy it and grow it you know and so those are things that you should think about when you are going through those types of uh, situations. The other thing that I think was probably the most contentious of all my my brother um, was my co-founder there I hired him on afterwards as a co-founder um, and he really wanted to hold on to it and get more money than was being offered um, and so it it actually is important to sit back and think, okay well, I could be greedy or I could just have a bird in the hand here. And that was, I know, one of the things that he and I went back and forth on this forever. And I won, finally, because um, with the research we were doing, telehealth was now sp- sprouting up everywhere. And luckily we did because there was before the pandemic (laughs) hit. And then everybody and their mother had a telehealth company. So um, back in 2014, it was when things were just now starting to to grow. And so it is important to kind of know the landscape that you're in um, and to know the competitive analysis of what's around you and to see which different stages they're in. So you can make a really informed decision about whether you want to buy or hold and for how much.
0: So there's a The good news is in our field of ophthalmology. Ophthalmology supports uh, innovation. Not every field in medicine supports innovation as well as ophthalmology. There's still investors willing to invest in, and so for the young ophthalmic entrepreneur, there really is opportunity. And you've seen, you know, four examples of it here. And I think all of us would say, well, it was challenging. It was rewarding, but. Let's just get a kind of a final message from everyone. Maybe, maybe you know what was the most painful learning that you had, and and uh, that you would wouldn't want to do again. And also, uh, uh, you know, what what inspires you to you know want to keep it going and do it again. So, uh, so any painful learnings and and inspirational messages. Uh, Who wants to start? Rhonda, you want to start?
2: Um, Okay. Painful message. Definitely taking from friends and family. Um, Never again, ever, uh, would I ever want to be in that situation. And it's not because you don't believe in yourself, but sometimes just things don't go the way you want them to. Um, And there's nothing worse. I mean, it's like dropping 10 (laughs) nuclei on one day. It's the worst feeling in the world. Um, But, you know, it's one of the reasons you do it is also because you want to share your wealth with them, the wealth of the company and the innovation. And, um, and and that's one of the reasons why, like, I was even tempted to do it in the first place, um, because I was so sure and wanted them to enjoy the, the benefits. Right. So I wanted to bring them into that equation. I will never do that again. That was the most painful thing ever. Um, but, um, as far as inspiring messages, uh, go, What we did see is that we're having this conversation right now and the industry is ready to collaborate and help each other and i truly deeply believe that this industry really does care about each other and we all want to see each other do well and so you working with our industry partners i think is super important working with our tech partners is super important you know you cannot have a good product without contributions from every side, the industry partners, the tech partners, the business partners, the investors, and of course, the clinician and your peers. And so it just really takes, you know, it, it takes multi-stakeholder approach to really create something magnificent.
0: So Ashley, uh, you know, what, what what wouldn't you want to repeat if you had a chance to do it over again? Did you have any, any bumps in the road that are particularly memorable? And then uh, you, you seem very inspired and and do you find this whole process inspiring and why?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely bumps. Um, if people are telling you there's not bumps, they're not truly living the entrepreneurial life. Um, so, so I would say, you know, my piece of advice is, one, nobody's going to care about this as much as you do. Um, and that's okay. So just set that expectation. You will be very passionate about it and other people will not care as much. Um, And then two, people don't really owe you anything. Um, And so as much as you might think that you have a slam dunk idea and they should be investing or they should be purchasing your product or supporting it or doing this or that, um, at the end of the day, people are going to do what they want and not everybody that you envision that's going to strongly support you will. Um, But being able, I think, to really... Um, rely on yourself to have that kind of motivation to continue with what you know is a great idea. You know, the moment you're kind of coming down on thinking that, you know, I'm at the last of what I can kind of do for for where my company is, just know that you're going to hit that turning point where things are going to start to turn up. Um, And so, if you can really persist and and you're in your confidence of yourself and what you've built so far, I think you'll continue to do great things. And you'll always be surprised at what support will come forward next, and it's going to be in ways that you didn't anticipate. Um, and and it might even be a bigger and better idea than you ever thought it could be.
0: Yeah, perseverance and persistence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're right; people do come out of the woodwork, kind of just at the right time, sometimes, to help you it's unexpectedly. So true. So. It's so
1: true, and it's no one you. It's not who you thought it would be. It's it's somebody else, or it's some random connection from years before that happened to see something on LinkedIn that you post that inspired them. And so, again, it's so it's so funny how the universe works to bring these opportunities together. But having that faith is really what's going to keep you going.
0: So, John, any, uh, any bumps in the road for you along the way and uh, messages that uh, and uh, you're still inspired to do more entrepreneurship? Those are,
3: those are, are great messages from Ronnie from and Ashley, for sure, um, about persistence. That's, that's absolutely number one. Um, I think it's really important uh, to understand uh, critically what value your customer is going to derive from what you're offering. Uh, You need to understand understand that in a very practical way. While I started this by talking about allergy eye drops and understanding patients' perspectives, where we ended with MD backline had nothing to do with that. It had to do with helping clinicians communicate with patients about premium lens implants. And we were able to show that they were able to sell more premium lens implants to patients because patients really want to buy these. They just don't understand them very well when they go into the process of cataract surgery. So if we were able to bridge that gap, we d- deliver something of great value. So that's the the first message is is be willing to pivot when you can deliver more value to your customer. And then the last thing, and I guess inspiring, is that when you assemble the right team, when you have the right people together, um, and you can get out of their way, and that's a really important skill for an entrepreneur is to sometimes get out of the way, uh, it's just impressive It's and inspiring how your idea will succeed uh, under the guidance of, of people who kind of know what they're doing, are motivated, and uh, and have sometimes different ideas from your own. So um, we were as much buoyed by that as anything else that uh, that I did in the creation of the company.
0: Yeah, my, my advice always when my fellows or, or young entrepreneurs ask me is that, you know, probably the biggest bumps in my road is that it took more time and cost more money than than i ever believed that it that it would and uh and and so when we try to have a balanced life if you're really going to be an entrepreneur uh, that entrepreneurial spirit can sometimes take you out of balance a little bit and and uh yeah you can try to guard against it but realize that if you go down this journey while it's very rewarding you know that you do have to make a time commitment and uh, and a financial commitment And if you aren't willing to do that, you know, don't do it would be would be my my advice. But I would also say it's very inspiring to, uh, you know, to both have some successful products in the field, but also very inspiring to mentor others and and help them have have, uh, you know, successful products in the field. And I think you heard that from everyone is that there is a a passionate network of uh, people in eye care that are out there that are passionate about innovation and willing to be supportive. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about about our field. So this is fun, I I learned a lot. Uh, That concludes another episode of CRST, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests as they shared their experiences and insights on entrepreneurship and ophthalmology. Their stories remind us that innovation and progress in patient care are driven by those who are willing to take risks and think outside the box. Ashley, Rania, John, thank you all for joining me today and sharing your perspectives, and thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to check out more stories of physician entrepreneurial journeys in the May issue of CRST, and stay tuned for more engaging discussions at the intersection of patient care and innovation in ophthalmology on CRST, the podcast.
2: For more shows like the one you just
1: listened to, check out the podcast channel, on itube.net.